0: Did you know that there was a crater on Mercury that is named after a West African surgeon and political scientist named James Africanus Beale Horton? I didn't know that either until just in the last couple of months. And I'm going to introduce you to this brilliant man who had tremendous influence over Africa's independence in the 20th century. Hi. Welcome to the Rafiki Foundation podcast. I'm Karen Elliott, and I'm your host of this podcast where we discuss all things classical, Christian, missional, and African. We are looking at things as it relates to classical Christian education, primarily in Africa, but also around the globe. In the Rafiki Foundation, we're committed to helping people know God and raise their standard of living. And we do that through Bible study, primarily in schools but also Sunday school and homeschool families, both in Africa and around the world. But also, we have, are also committed to classical Christian education. We want to help people raise their standard of living, and we do that through education. And so we are also helping to develop classical Christian schools across the continent of Africa and also here in the United States. As I've mentioned before, Rafiki has its own classical Christian curriculum from pre-K through grade 12 for all the core subjects, history and music and art as well. And we are making this available here in the United States, but we're also making it available to our church partners in Africa, helping them implement it across their schools. So, since we are establishing or we believe God has led us to establish classical Christian education in Africa, the question we want to answer is how can it be implemented across cultural cultures, particularly in the continent of Africa? So, one of the questions I continue to answer in this podcast or at least discuss is the question of what relevance are the classics? Or let's say, of what relevance is the great conversation. For cultures outside of what is commonly known as Western civilization. Can a classical Christian education truly be beneficial to Africa? It's a very timely topic because, you know, in an era when digital and vocational and technical education is being emphasized, particularly for Africa, everybody wants 21st century skills. It appears that perhaps the liberal arts have taken a back seat. And in addition, I would say many people might contend that emphasizing a Western classical Christian education in Africa is another type of neo-colonialism. Well, today I'd like to demonstrate how classical Christian education, let's call it CCE, positively influenced one 19th century West African intellectual leader, Africanus Beale Horton, James Africanist Beale Horton was part of the West African intellectual elite. And he did receive a classical Christian education. He is one of my new heroes. He, along with Samuel Ajay Crowther, whom you can read about or listen, you can listen to my podcast about. I would have loved to have met both of these men, but I'm getting to know them a lot better. Horton is a man who is highly influential on two fronts in West Africa, because of his book that he wrote. Number one, Horton set the foundation for West Africa's independence, and his book developed some of the uh, earliest constitutions for West African states. Uh, Also, because of his book, he was one of the one of the ones to advocate for African equality and also a proponent for pan-Africanism, believing that a united uh, African continent would be able to withstand colonial pressures. So I want to establish here briefly in this podcast how the liberal arts or CCE, Classical Christian Education, influenced his contributions toward African independence. I hope to demonstrate how he was steeped in the liberal arts and Christianity and how that influenced the writing of one of his well-known books. But before I discuss this, though, I want to acknowledge a couple of sources that have really influenced my thinking. One of the books is called The Athens of West Africa, written published in 2013 by Daniel Paraka, Jr. It's part of the Rutledge Education Series. A very well-researched book on the history of Fora Bay College. So, if you'd like to learn more about all of this, the liberal arts in West Africa, I would recommend this book. It's called "The Athens of West Africa." And by the way, I did a podcast on this institution as well, where you can at least get a little bit of background knowledge on the college. The other source that I am I have read that is also very helpful is a book called Your Secret, Secret Language, Classics in the British Colonies of West Africa by Barbara Goff. It, too, was published in 2013. That book establishes the influence, the use, and the influence of the classics in West Africa, influencing men such as James Africanus Horton and uh, Samuel Ajayi Crowther, Edward Blyden, James Holy Johnson, and so forth. So these are two sources that I have been reading through and have influenced and provided significant background information to my investigation into the history of CCE in West Africa. So who was James Africanus Beale Horton? As I mentioned earlier, you need to know that there is a crater on mercury named for him. In 1976, his name was designated by the International Astronomical Union and they eventually named a crater after Africanus Horton. Uh, perhaps you want to recommend somebody. I think you can just write in and recommend someone, uh, someone's name to be put on a crater somewhere on some planet. So uh, maybe you'd like to do that for someone. But anyway, uh, Horton was born in Sierra Leone in 1835. And he grew up in the time between the ending of slavery, uh, which was about 1807 by the British, and and the ensuing scramble for Africa, which was started in the 1880s. Horton was born in Gloucester, Sierra Leone. Yes, named after Gloucester, England, Sierra Leone. And, And that was a very small village of about 800 people. But it was close to the larger settlement of Freetown, Sierra Leone. You can find out more about how Freetown and Sierra Leone became so central to Christian liberal arts education and Forabay Bay College in my podcast on Forabay Bay College. Horton received a classical education styled after the British school system of the 19th century at the grammar stage and also in college. It's just absolutely amazing. His father was probably a recaptive slave, which was uh, someone who had been sold into slavery by one of the indigenous people groups, sold into slavery, most likely to, to the Portuguese or Spanish. A recaptive slave was someone who was then put on a ship on the Atlantic, heading out for the Americas, who was then rescued by a British gunship off the coast of West Africa and then deposited back in Sierra Leone. So that's most likely what happened to his father. It's it's thought his father was perhaps from Nigeria, and Horton claimed to have Igbo heritage. In fact, he said he was probably from Igbo royalty. So his father may have been rescued in the 1820s, deposited in Sierra Leone, and Horton is born in 1835. When Horton was 10 years old, he was provided a scholarship to attend the Church Missionary Society Grammar School uh, in in Freetown. Now, the Church Missionary Society was the mission-sending arm of the Church of England, and it was established in 1799. This school was the first secondary education institution in Sierra Leone and the first in sub-Sahara for Africans. This school, the grammar school, was to begin Horton's long interaction with usage of and appreciation of the Western classical Christian tradition. The CMS Grammar School, uh, where Horton entered in May of 1845, was modeled on similar institutions in England. In fact, they said that young men who entered this school got as good, if not a better education than many British boys. So there were about forty boys in the class, and they were grouped in four classes. They were taught a class, a curriculum that was largely classical uh, and mathematical and Christian. Now, the principal of the school was from England, but one of the other instructors was a Creole who was trained at the CMS Training Institute in London. Archival information that was sourced from reports in eighteen forty seven by the principal of the grammar school gives you a pretty good insight as the type of curriculum that was taught during this time. Here's what it says from an 1847 report. He says, we may note that the classics here appear under the sign of history as well as of language. And so what he's saying is during language training, which would often be Latin or Greek, uh, and during the history classes, the students would have read <clears throat> the students would have read the classics, uh, ancient texts from Rome and Greece. He said there's no Hebrew here at this point, although it will appear shortly in the history of the school. So we see the classics here in West Africa at this time in Sierra Leone serve the same liberal purposes that they did in comparable European institutions. In the same volume of these archival records, the principal of the school reports this on the grammar school. He says this. He says the students are divided into different classes and they're distinguished partly by the presence or absence of Greek. The whole are divided into two classes. The course of instruction pursued by the first division embraces English grammar, composition, Greek, mathematics, geography, astronomy, the 39 articles, English history, writing and recitation from the English reader and music. Not only was the coursework classical, the content was classical, but the pedagogy was integrated. Here's what he also says. The teaching was organized syntopically. A class would take one geographical area, such such as ancient Greek or Asia, for example, and study it historically, politically, and geographically. End quote. You know, from my perspective, this reminds me a lot of what you hear today in a 21st century classical Christian school and their teaching methods. I'll quote from another source, which says dialectic and rhetoric were also taught at the CMS Grammar School. There were organized debates, it says, on religious topics and speeches were presented. So one can see that this period of Horton's life really honed his ability to express his views, which were displayed later on in his life as he corresponded with British medical and political leaders, He corresponded with journalists and businessmen that he communicated through his own books, letters, and treatises. So he was in the CMS Grammar School from age 10 to 17. Then at age 17, he enters Flora Bay College, where he spends three more years. And it's here he transitioned to an even more rigorous liberal arts education under the direction of the principal, Reverend Edward Jones. Jones, as mentioned in a previous podcast, uh, was a graduate of the school in U.S. in the United States uh, of Amherst College. That college also was providing a classical education. Some of the things that Jones had probably studied while at Amherst included Virgil, Cicero, the Greek New Testament. He had read Livy, Euclid, Horace studied rhetoric and catechism and also had provided he had to provide a recitation in the Greek new testament so jones who in 1840 became the principal of Forabay college had been classically educated all the classes at amherst had amherst had weekly exercises in, in speaking and composition so he was thoroughly educated with the classical christian education itself so with this strong classical education, it's not surprising that um, Edward Jones would bring this to bear at Forabay College. So FBC, where Horton attended. And here's what's documented in 1847. So this would have been about um, it would have been a couple of years before Horton joined. It says they would have studied history and Valpe's grammar, Euclid, and geometry, and trigonometry. They also read Plato's Apology, Virgil's The Aeneid, and the life of Thrasybilus, all in the original languages. So this would have been the time when Horton was a student. When it comes to Christian education, they would have read in the Greek New Testament, the Gospel of St. John and St. Matthew's Gospel. And so during the season in which Horton would have been educated, Jones had enhanced the academic rigor of the school and its classical emphasis. So Horton enjoyed the classical Christian education at Four Bay College for those three years. But then a huge opportunity would come in July of 1855, because of his performance as a student he was given a tremendous opportunity to move from Four Bay College to London. And he was moved to London to study medicine. This came about because the British realized that they needed indigenous African medical officers to treat their soldiers. As previously mentioned, tropical diseases, especially malaria, took their toll on Europeans. 30%, 50% of the Europeans uh, Would die because of malaria. So they needed medical officers who would live and who could treat their soldiers, who would not succumb to the disease as easily. So Horton was selected as one of three men to leave in July of 1855 to go to the University of London to study medicine. According to Horton, here's exactly what happened. He says it was just one day he was called in, selected, prayed over, and the next day they packed up and left on a ship for the United Kingdom. Been, he spends three more years at the University of London. Then he goes and spends a year at the University of Edinburgh. During his time in London and, and, and Edinburgh, he was taught by men of medical distinction. There was a pioneer medical statistician, two distinguished botanists, and one of the founders of modern geology as well. So Horton received an incredible education that was both classical and Christian, but also specialized in the area of medicine and the sciences. Horton's role in the military was to treat sick sick soldiers and research local diseases, which he did admirably over 21 years in the service. When he retired in 1880, he retired at the rank of surgeon major in the British Army. He had traveled extensively throughout West Africa, and of course, he traveled to Europe as well. His travel throughout West Africa gave him a broad perspective of the climates, the economy, and the cultures of the region. This gave him ample information to write his book on West African countries and peoples, British and native. This book was published in 1868. In addition to his book here, which was an apologetic for African equality and a political treatise, Horton also produced several publications regarding medical issues in West Africa. It's noted in one book that, and I quote, during his career, he produced an impressive body of medical and political literature, although his work on diseases and their causes was not groundbreaking from a medical perspective it probably constituted the most comprehensive study of health conditions in West Africa at the time. So throughout his time, Africanus Horton not only conducted, met, conducted medical research and treatment, but he also advocated for the self-government of West African states. He also advocated for a West African university. And he set in motion the underpinnings of modern-day political thought for Africa. Lastly, in his retirement, Horton was not sedentary. He set about developing mining operations for economic development in Sierra Leone. And he also had built his own home, a four-story mansion called Horton Hall in Sierra Leone. He finished his days advocating for African self-government. He established a bank, which although it did not last long, certainly set in motion the need for banking systems for Africans. However, then, while it didn't last, it didn't last long because after he started the bank in 1883 at the age of 48, Horton died as a Christian, dying in faith in the Lord. So Africanus Horton was uh, significantly influenced by classical Christian education, by the classical education of Great Britain at the time. He served for 12, 21 years as a medical officer in the British Army, started a bank, started a mining operation. He just died too young. One of the main contributions that he made, however, in his time was the book he wrote called West African Countries and Peoples, British and Native, and A Vindication of the African Race. It was written in 1868. I would encourage you to get a copy of this book. You can buy it on Amazon and read it. You'll be fascinated on two fronts. First of all, one of the things Horton does beautifully in this book is he takes the racist views of the day to task. They were gaining stronger traction due to some very bad anthropology. This anthropology in the 19th century took the skulls of apes, compared them to the skulls of Africans and said, well, the African skulls look closer to apes than the white man's skull. Therefore, African skulls are Africans um, are closer to apes than they are to human beings. Very spurious science. And so, therefore, the some European I will call them pseudo anthropologists. Made conclusions about Africans, published conclusions about Africans, calling them savages. This was a statement, unfortunately, that was made many times during this century. So Horton, with his medical background, was able to able to counter these assertions. In addition, he also had read a lot of Roman and Greek history. And he quoted it by by quoting ancient ancient philosophers and politicians like Cicero, Aristotle. Aeschylus and Hesiod, he was able to debunk this erroneous thinking. He also read current philosophers and historians, such as David Hume, who was a proponent of the idea that Africans were savages. So Horton knew what his opponents even said, so he could refute them. So Horton, in his book, defends African equality. He is able to do it well in English, and then he's able to quote from the original languages in Latin and Greek making his points very well. So he makes his arguments scientifically, philosophically, and also historically. One of the comparisons he makes, that's is, that—that's an amazing argument, is he writes this. He says, you Europeans are calling us savages. He says, do you not realize that when the Romans first came to Great Britain, they said the same thing about your ancestors, that they were savages? The British people were savages? Do you not realize that? And then he says, it took you all a very long long time to become civilized. He said, we Africans who are just now being introduced to civilization, he said, I predict that it will surpass Europeans and develop civilization in a much faster time. So this this was one of the main contributions of his book. And he devotes several chapters to refuting these prejudices that were so prevalent on the European continent toward Africa. However, the primary contribution of his book has to do with his political thought. The last two-thirds of the book, Horton takes each region of West Africa. He analyzes the people and their customs and their culture, and he recommends a certain type of government for each region based on the disposition and the development of the peoples. So he recommends either a republic or a constitutional monarchy, and it's apparent from this book that he has read the political philosophers of the last two hundred years in his descriptions of the types of government he recommends for development in West Africa. Some of the recommendations he makes sound as if they came right out of the Federalist Papers, down to the structure of a Congress and a Senate, uh, their ages. Uh, their property rights, etc. He also, in his book, outlines the components of what you would call the very first constitution for a West African state, which was implemented for a period of time by the Fonte Confederation. So Horton's book, called West African Countries and Peoples, both successfully refutes the racist views of the day and lays the groundwork for African self-government. He recommends structures such as voting by universal suffrage, as opposed to just, say, having a tyrant or a king. Horton believed that these different regions could govern themselves over a period of time, after a period of time. But Horton also wanted West Africa to benefit from the developments of Europe. He wanted to help West Africa move forward in what he viewed as civilization. And so he valued the education that he had received. Horton wanted a West African university that emphasized the classics, but also brought in what he considered to be some more modern parts of education, particularly the sciences, developing medicine and developing doctors. But he also wanted to invest time in teaching and studying the African languages as well. I think that if his vision for a West African university had really come to fruition, Perhaps there would have been even greater education development throughout West Africa. That education, however, did not come about until much later in the 20th century. You can learn more uh, from my podcast on Fora Bay College, where I list six reasons why the liberal arts education and why a West African university did not develop further in the 19th century. Nonetheless, a liberal arts education, a Christian liberal arts education, was extremely successful in educating a man like James Africanus Beale Horton. Horton received a grammar school education like many boys in Great Britain. He received a a Christian liberal arts college education and then medical training in London and in Edinburgh. Horton was a Christian. He was exposed to ideas which fostered his thinking and his desire to see African equality and he and it strengthened his ability to argue that case for African equality and independence and self-government. It has been noted by many historians that he planted the seeds for independence that finally came to Africa in the nineteen sixties and So Horton is an example of the benefits of a classical Christian education. The Rafiki foundation we are seeking to help establish this same kind of education across the continent of Africa, but one that is a little bit more culturally sensitive to Africans. We want to capture some of, the, some of the recommendations of people like Horton, who wanted to study the culture and the history and the languages and the art and music of Africa, while at the same time emphasizing the great conversation and the classics and the ancient wisdom and great ideas over the centuries. We'd like to bring this to many young men and women across the continent of Africa, not just in a few isolated places, but throughout 10 countries, so that we might be able to help unleash on the continent more men and women who are like Africanus Horton. And so you can find out more about the Rafiki Foundation and what we are doing to help bring classical Christian education to Africa by going to our website, RafikiFoundation.org. One of the ways you can join us in this mission is to sponsor a child to one of our classical Christian schools in Africa. For a $1,000 a year, we can provide two meals a day, plus a classical Christian education, the textbooks, and all that is needed for a child to be educated this way to one of our Rafiki schools. We believe it's the best education for a human being. And we not only want to help the children in the communities around our Rafiki villages receive this, but, as I mentioned before, church partner schools to adopt our classical Christian education system. And so you can help us with the mission by sponsoring children who come from low-income, poor families to get this great education. So you can help us out this way. Send a child to one of our schools. Another way though is you might be sensing God's call to go serve as a missionary. I would encourage you to ask God to let you go and serve as an overseas missionary. I would ask you to be asking the question not why should I go? But is there any reason for me not to go? Perhaps God might let you become a missionary and be one of our teachers or headmasters or be the dean of a teacher training college to help establish this type of education across the continent of Africa. We also can use musicians and artists, plant managers, business people, people who've raised children, moms and dads. People from all walks of life can serve as missionaries at our Rafiki villages. And so check out our website at RafikiFoundation.org to see what God might lead and allow you to do to be a part of this mission. Thanks for listening. Stay tuned for my next podcast as we explore classical Christian education across Africa.